Welcome to the Collective Intelligence Labs podcast, where we talk with the world's best leaders about an inevitable transition to the web-free-centric creator economy. Please welcome your host, CEO of the Collective Intelligence Labs, Alex Schor. So hi everyone, today we have with us Ray Chohan, uh, co-founder of PetSnap, leading R&D intelligence software and unicorn company. Uh, Ray is a big proponent and investor in Web3 industry, and I think Ray is a perfect example of a profile of a successful IT entrepreneur who got deep into Web3 space. And from my personal opinion, this is exactly a profile of a person whom we need more in Web3 space in order to push adoption to the next level. Tell us, Ray, how can we bring more people like you to the industry? What is still is missing in crypto for people from enterprise to come on a massive scale? Or maybe you can just start with sharing your story on how you got into crypto. Well, cheers, Alex. Really looking forward to this conversation today. So I think it might be useful just to kind of set the stage and share with the audience how I ever ended up exploring this rabbit hole in the first place. So probably like most folks, uh, especially folks from a a B2B enterprise background, similar to myself, um, it would have been in 2017, actually, Alex. I'm uh, always curious and listening to uh, certain podcasts, consuming certain content. If our memory goes back, 2017, it would have been what, Q2 when things started really picking up pace in terms of price action, noise especially around Ethereum, Bitcoin, and some of the other, it's funny saying it now, traditional assets. I call it the OGs, so ETH and BTC, just the noise and trying to understand that technology. So initially just off podcasts. And what really caught my attention back in 2017, it would have been um, Alex Buterin's concept around smart contracts. So just the underlining principle around smart contracts, smart contract economy, blockchain and smart contracts could potentially enable that underlining narrative really resonated with me alex and uh, actually it's i think was a trigger for many people especially in legal tech and i think this buzzword smart contract uh, hence uh, buterin doesn't like it anymore i think it was like it's actually a really good idea to pr it this way yeah i, I see how how it uh, bring you to the space, especially from IP perspective and legal frameworks, which smart contracts are bringing for like legal tech and for advancing like IP industry. I couldn't agree more. It was definitely was that underlining technology and then connecting it with what I see within obviously the IP space, the whole kind of umbrella of legal tech. Also, Alex, your personal experience, right? Whenever you purchase a house or ever make a large purchase, the actual process of people, paperwork, and fatiguing conversations, it's not much fun, right? So when you learn about a a potentially game-changing and revolutionary capability like smart contracts, you're like, wow, holy shit, I can't wait for this technology to be released. To be fair, I was just a fan of what was being built because I was like, please hurry up. Can you build this? Because this would be really useful. I don't have to speak to five, six people in a value chain 
those people getting paid commissions in that value chain, which is really annoying because you sometimes don't need them. And for code to be law, I really love that phrase. That really caught my imagination. So that was uh, the initial genesis of, of my journey down the wonderful world of digital assets, blockchain, stroke, call it crypto. Got it. So, and let's talk now about tokenized patents. So imagine if in the future when Web3 really take off and like we have really massive adoption and at some point, obviously like this IP assets uh, will be on the chain and tokenized as NFTs and it's maybe not even will be patents anymore. How do you think it will affect industry? So what do you think this change will lead for patent system itself? Really good question. This one I have been pondering for quite a while. So obviously my organization, we're kind of the, one of the world leaders in providing analytics to stakeholders who have exposure to patents, who work with the asset class, and also the surrounding teams who are involved in innovation. And we do kind of more of that broader body of work around innovation intelligence. That's kind of our space, but we're, patents are always close to our heart. So to your question, do I see the underlining system, which has been around for, what, well over 100 years? Do I see that changing anytime soon within the next five to six years? Probably not. These things take time. These are fundamentally institutions. They are public-private institutions, government organizations. So the actual patent system, yes, it can be highly inefficient, but it has served a lot of innovators well over the last 150 years. So I don't see it disappearing anytime soon. Do I see this system evolving and adapting to the world of Web3? Yes, I see that. What that will look like in the first innings, how that's provisioned in the first innings, there's a couple of ideas being kicked around. I, I think there's some really interesting companies like IPWE doing some really positive work in this space. Also companies like Molecule.to who have launched a, a really compelling concept around early stage biomedical research and launched the first ever, I think, tech transfer-based DAO, decentralized autonomous organization. I think that's pretty cool where you're enabling early stage researchers to actually have ownership within the fundamental R&D and then have upside and economic upside upon success. I think that's all really interesting. So so I think in the first innings, we are going to see this convergence of Web3 eating away and improving part of the IP system. I don't think it will boil the ocean in one go. I think no one's going to do that, to be fair. Not, not even Bitcoin's doing that with the monetary system, right? It, it, everything's done in gentle baby steps and you incrementally add value, win hearts and minds, <laughs> including governments. And and then take people on on the journey. So that's where I see things from an IP standpoint. The good news within the IP space, specifically patents, trademarks, maybe federated data rooms within R&D projects, that's potentially low-hanging fruit. And from what we see in the market, customers are open, they are fertile for deploying this technology to enhance R&D, improve openness around their IP strategy and innovation strategy. So I do 
see things picking up in the next 24 to 36 months? Yeah, thank you for sharing these insights. It's actually what I really like about this conversation, like what I think very valuable to share with as the rest of the audience is that you guys in, in Patsnap also started from tech transfer industry, right? And uh, and this also was the first kind of entrance point to the market of uh, IP and R&D intelligence. And it uh, looks like we might have the same thing with NFT and DeFi. Uh, it's just like a bit different type of change because like it's much more in the change of whole business process of uh, R&D. And because you need to put these assets on chain, you need uh, to find a new, totally new way for commercialization through defined through like uh, tokenized assets. Do, do you think these similarities uh, have some, I know, some foundational reason uh, or is it just like happens to be the same way as, as you guys did? Good question. I've reflected on this one for quite a while. I think the tech transfer community and ecosystem is probably a really fertile place to start when you're launching new technology, new workflows, new ways of doing things. So I think as a beachhead, it's compelling. Mm-hmm. It worked well for us, especially in our, what I call, patent analytics 2.0 phase. That was back in 2012, 2013, right? Also, working with that community, you're kind of at, at the top of the funnel, right? Government-funded early-stage research, academic research, where that goes, be it a license, be it a spin-out company from a university which is based in an incubator, you're right at the beginning of that funnel. So at the early stage, to start moving your assets onto a blockchain, to start from day one on launching your research or your early stage company through a DAO and tokenizing it off the bat, I think it makes sense, right? It's at the beginning of the journey. So if you kind of start with that form factor, as that spin-out company scales, and hit certain milestones, or that technology further develops and it's got people knocking on the door to license it because it's a really compelling technology. I think if you start off with a Web3 form factor from the roots of tech transfer, it's a healthy place, right? It's a very natural place. The barrier to entry with tech transfer is low because we're at the beginning of the story, be it a license, be it a federated data room, be it a tokenized small spin-out company from a tech transfer office. Totally agree. And it's highly resonates what I think about this. And like they're basically much more focused on creation of value. And Web3 unlocks even more opportunities to create value and uh, capture value kind of automatically when your assets are tokenized. Podcast. Now, uh, let's switch back to DeFi a bit. So, like, it's uh, actually one of uh, the first use cases which took off in Web3 space. And I'm just, like, wondering, uh, what do you think about this uh, not really popular but still widespread opinion that DeFi is not really a use case of Web3 because it's just an infrastructure for other use cases? And basically, the... Uh, reasoning behind this uh, idea is that world financial space is just an infrastructure for like real use cases, real industries. So, and uh, 
from my opinion, I really think that once we bring like real assets on chain, whatever it can be like, uh, and apply DeFi tools for this, it can really accelerate adoption of World Web3 space. What do you think about this? What do you think about DeFi and uh, about considering it as a use case or not? Yeah, I mean, DeFi as a obviously a, a stream of Web3 is compelling, right? And it's about people talking about the DeFi summer, but it seemed like it ended up being the NFT summer rather than the DeFi summer. But uh, we can come to come on to NFTs later on. But I, I think DeFi, if you look at it from the first principle standpoint, it has huge potential. I mean, if you look at Uniswap version three, right? In particular, version three, which is a lot more user friendly and and is getting a lot more adoption. And obviously, you've seen MetaMask improve their digital wallets. But fundamentally, what DeFi is doing in a really elegant way, in particular Uniswap, I think they've got a really elegant solution and they're one of the leaders in this space, is basically collapse all of the financial infrastructure behind certain yield products, various financial instruments. It literally is a few clicks of a button and you're cutting out so many middlemen out of a process, right? So many people skimming off the top of a financial process, which is what fundamentally traditional banks do. So what excites me about DeFi is, yeah, there's all this noise around price action and yield. And to me, that's all just a bit of fun and noise. All of that stuff's really noise to me, Alex. Well, what, what I really love is the fundamentals behind DeFi is how you can collapse all of that backend infrastructure, which is in traditional banking, and through a Web3 methodology, remove all that noise, remove all that cost, remove all of that friction, and just pass value back to the user and the customer. I think that's what we need to really focus on. Frankly, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> if you really unpack it, certain financial instruments, certain financial products, and you look at who is getting compensated what throughout that process, if customers really knew, they would be horrified. And I think DeFi removes that. that that's what I think is spectacular about DeFi. And, and if you look at total value locked in, it's always flirted between what, 70 billion to what, 98 billion at its peak. So it's tiny if you compared it to the traditional finance markets. But it's, I think it's the underlining tech, which is really compelling. What do you think like, is important to have like a next breakthrough for DeFi as well? Like, is it like security issues? Like, have you heard like about all these hacks in DeFi projects uh, and money stolen? So obviously, you know, like we have this infrastructure in centralized finance where they uh, pay a lot of for, for this infrastructure and um, basically justifying their fees. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, with DeFi, we have a smart contract, open source smart contract deployed, which can be used by anyone. Anyone can deploy their own version of Uniswap. Um, and it's, uh, the infrastructure becomes really cheap. But uh, there's still some risk uh, is, is in place. There's still risk that your money can be stolen, right? Um, so maybe this is what we need, like uh, some better security or what? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say the, the big scary R word, which no one really likes, but we have to face it. And boy, it's coming soon. Is Alex, we need regulation. We need to embrace regulation. So you are right. Out of all of the DeFi projects, there's some really good projects out there. But there is sadly and this always happens the web was like this in the early 90s well in the mid to late 90s and maybe even early 2000s 
there is a a wild west component to web3 in particular defi so we did see some hacks we did sadly see people lose funds so i think what needs to be done now and i think it will happen in the next 12 to 15 months is this space will get regulated in north america and europe and i think the really thoughtful protocols which have good investors and have a good teams will partner with regulators to then provision and shape re- a regulatory framework which fits within defi that's going to take time right that's not, it's not going to be easy oh, i made it sound so simple there cuz each you're going to have the financial traditional regulatory bodies who've got their incentives and then likewise all the entrepreneurs within web3 and all the customers have their view on the world what i'm saying is we have to this has to happen everyone's got to grow up and try to meet in the middle somewhere i totally agree so i also be a big proponent of like friendly regulation of crypto uh it's uh, and to have this friendly regulation we we just need to work closely with regulators and suggest what and how it, it needs to be regulated because there is like no way that crypto will not be regulated at all obviously uh, there is any financial infrastructure has to have some regulation uh, to protect investors to protect users uh, but uh, on that point i mean it's happening right now right i mean you got gary gensler digging in digging in his heels quite publicly in the last three, four weeks you have everyone freaking out and blowing up on twitter and well now even linkedin a little bit and all over youtube and all the main social media platforms but to me this is a good thing mm-hmm. we now have to for example i think what coinbase are doing trying to lead the way on they're, they're building out this framework right proactively i mean even though the sec haven't engaged with them and and replied to their emails or their phone calls they're taking it on their own back to say okay we're going to build out a framework we're going to send you guys a proposal we've worked 7 days a week for the last bloody 3 months trying to build out a framework for you guys to review let's now partner together to figure out what is the security what is the commodity what does the framework actually look like so i think you got actors like coinbase trying to be proactive and positive and actually approaching the right institutions with with the proposal and saying look this is the icebreaker let's get talking let's sit around the table let's get our teams working on this i think that approach is really thoughtful and it's great for the wider community and i think you know what also triggers when i hear this that it also an opportunity for smaller countries like el salvador for example to become faster in regulation of uh, crypto as they but just don't have that big user base for comparing to united states and everyone wants to work with united states uh, as a business uh, but what do you think about this like was this initiative of of el salvador or obviously like just uh, taking bitcoin as national currency is uh, just small step it uh, sounds big but obviously it's not like adoption of wall crypto projects but it might be a good start Do you think it will lead to something bigger or do you think other countries will follow this path? Yeah, I think when we look back in 10 12 years what El Salvador done last month in terms of officially making it legal t- tender, I think it is a moment. 
in terms of nation-state adoption and backing. So if you learn what happens in Latin America, in, in your Chile's, Argentina in specific, sadly in El Salvador, it's horrific how their currency gets debased. People can lose their life savings because the, the banking system has so much exposure. It's insane, right? The whole plumbing and infrastructure there on the way it used to be. So for a lot of people in El Salvador, you speak to folks in Argentina, you speak to folks even here at Cyprus in 2013, the banking crisis there, you speak to folks in these countries, when they go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and and understand it, it's potentially a revolutionary, safe, cryptographic store of value and a way to protect their wealth, they immediately understand it. So I think what El Salvador have, have done, it is a moment. It does mean something. And actually, for a lot of these emerging markets and emergent countries, specifically Latin America, who are doing some amazing stuff around gaming, Web3, I, I get so many inbounds from entrepreneurs within LATAM. It's brilliant, the ecosystem out there in terms of early stage companies. It's pretty hot what's happening in Latin America. And they're really hungry because they feel like they're behind the curve, right? So actually, El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender, being a trailblazer around the general regulation around digital assets, this is actually an economic development opportunity for these emerging countries. The way they're seeing it, it's how the US capitalized on the internet in the mid to late 90s. For a lot of these governments, they're like, holy shit, this is our time. A lot of the countries are much bigger, have a lot more noise, much larger population. Because we're smaller, this is actually an advantage. We can get in early. We can make this a big moment in our story in terms of economic development and enabling wealth creation. That's what I love about Web3. It's really here right now. And if you jump in early, it can help some of the smaller nations who have amazing talent, amazing academic infrastructure, certain parts of that. It could be certain pockets emerging within Europe. Uh, I know Estonia are looking at a few things. So this is a, a wonderful timing and opportunity for the smaller folks. Yeah, I hope some some of these folks will listen either to this podcast or somewhere else and like and take this advice seriously and start exploring uh, how to bring more value to their country with Web3, with regulation of Web3. I'm, I'm sure it will be very, very well paid off like uh, in long term. I think actually education is one of the most important thing to focus on in Web3 space, not only because of bringing like government employees and like to our side but also to just have like more developers in in web free space you know like there's so not that many people actually yet if you compare it to the internet what in terms of users where we are in web3 what and it depends how you classify users right because this term is so loose and broad but what you hear in the market circa what 150 million in terms of users developers people who are feeding into the ecosystem but Let's look at real users, right? MetaMask, which is the main wallet, 10 million monthly active users. It's fucking tiny. Like I think that's the one you got to really look at. Yeah, it gives a signal of what the industry current stage is. 
because uh, I think, you know, like even if we compare with the internet, it looks like if we have 10 million right now, like on MetaMask, it will be like uh, maybe half a million at internet early days because like Web3 promised to be much bigger change, much bigger splash on, on, on the water. And coming to this like uh, question about Web3 adoption and how it uh, was orchestrated in the internet days, early internet days, and comparing to what's happening right now. So we see now like this battle of infrastructure players, like layer ones and uh, layer twos, uh, data providers, and so on. And it seems to me that similar thing was in the beginning of the internet. There were many infrastructure providers uh, before we had like major uh, use cases. But after all, the biggest winners are those who came up with the most scalable and most uh, appealing for early users' use cases. And for example, Amazon is a good example of this one. It's an infrastructure provider already, but it started just by selling books. So do you think this is something which can happen as well to the Web3 space that uh, some company which will have the most breakthrough use case uh, like in a, in a real industry with a, uh, with the most of connection in, with the real industry will eventually decide on what infrastructure to use for Web3. I mean, if we just take a couple of steps back, this whole, people call it a myth, right? Infrastructure phase leads to application infrastructure cycle phase, right? I recommend everyone check out a really good post by a chap called Paki McCorick. It's notboring.co. And he has a brilliant, I think, one newsletter a week or two called the Interface Phase and specifically looks at Web3. And he actually talks about how within Web3, this myth of we need infrastructure phase, then app phase, what's actually happened, and it happened in the internet, we sometimes had an app phase before there was infrastructure. So if we look at, let's look at, say, Web3 in particular. So in 2017, we had the crazy stuff around mm -hmm. crypto kitties, prediction markets like Alga. But actually, later on, we had upgrades within side chains, parachains, drive chains, certain new ERC standards that came later, right? So sometimes we have application stage where people just get too excited, build out an application layer, but the actual picks and shovels and plumbing isn't there. But then the infrastructure is built. Yeah. In due course. So this kind of thesis on you have an infrastructure phase and then an app phase sometimes actually isn't the case. You sometimes have an app phase, jump the gun and get really excited. Nothing wrong with that. They just get really excited. But then what that leads to is what really high gas fees, poor coordination between DAOs, scams, um, sadly, a lot of hacks where the infrastructure isn't there, but the app's there. So that's what I'm observing within Web3. You're kind of getting a mix. What is good now, though, especially from, say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, second half of 2018, some really strong infrastructure being built out. Yeah, that's right. The likes of Solana, Polkadot, really picking up pace. You've got L2s like Arbitrum and a bunch of other I actually think 2018 and 2019 was a really strong phase for the infrastructure part of the story. And, and that was the quiet phase, right? When all the price action was down, it was never covered in the press. To be fair, I actually think 2018 and 2019 were good years 
because it was nice and quiet, no freaking price action noise and all hype and craziness. People were just doing the work. I think it's also was triggered mostly by NFT right now because it's kind of a next driver for use cases and maybe like um, maybe the next use case which will have like a breakthrough for wall and if, uh, wall of web3 industry but yeah but it's, it's interesting obviously we've had this huge hype cycle around non-fungible tokens nfts but and i could be completely wrong here i actually think this hype cycle's got some legs yeah these are legit businesses specifically what's happening within social tokens you've got teams like socius so rare within a Premier League soccer, La Liga soccer. Alex, these are legit businesses with legit revenue, with legit investors. Yeah. Driving legit customer value and fandom and fan engagement. So this time around, the hype cycle around NFTs actually, obviously there's there's a lot of fat around the hype that will get trimmed away. But the fundamental pillars around growth within the NFT space and what OpenSea is doing and all the other players, this has got legs. I think it's uh, kind of, you know, like uh, we're getting like use cases which are closer and closer to real industries and like NFTs are closer. And uh, actually, NFT infrastructure for NFT also uh, has been built for last like four years because CryptoKitties were like way earlier and nobody was talking about NFT at that time. Uh, and now everyone talks about NFTs. It looks like it's very uh, got into synergy with creator economy and creator economy uh, also got a, a boost from startups like Patreon and uh, others who like were really focused on how to unlock creative potential of uh, like specific group of people, specific industries. And it looks like more and more industries from, from uh, creator economy adopting uh, NFTs for their use cases and like and it's uh, also been populated uh, with uh, OpenSea and uh, they, they basically did like this push on on the industry. They did trigger uh, many people to start exploring what is crypto. Podcast. And uh, and here I want to ask you like one question. Like for example, we have many people who are still skeptical, uh, like Bill Gates, Buffett, and uh, maybe they have their own interest of being skeptical. Maybe they have some bets against crypto, and they have financial motivation of being skeptical. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. Obviously, you've got some of the. I mean, it's amazing. It's spectacular what they've achieved, right? You, Bill Gates. I mean, he's an absolute icon, Warren, when it comes to capital allocation and and investing. Those are Michael Jordans of their respective industries, right? Absolute legends, first and foremost. However, I have more understanding and compassion from where they come from. You just have to take a couple of steps back. Warren Buffett, I mean, what what is he, 90? His memories are of the nifty 50, I mean, even before that, right? He's an absolute legend. His returns are spectacular. As I say, he he's a Michael Jordan of investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the way he would have been uh, coached and raised in the world of investing is solar systems away from Web3, right? So I just think at that age, the capacity to maybe have the incentive, have the motivation to learn about this new world and embrace it and go down the rabbit hole, it's probably not really there. 
Also, he has to talk his book, right? He has to talk Ber- Berkshire Hathaway's book. He can't go on CNBC and say, yep, this is the future and yep, uh, BTC is the new store of value when he's probably got a huge gold position. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he has to talk his book, right? He's got thousands of shareholders. His business has been around for multiple decades. He's not going to go in public and start raving about a new technology, which basically at an exponential level could it impact his book. So that's just not going to happen. So that I understand. That, to be fair, if I was in his shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. And then just go home, have my McDonald's, have my ice cream and have a lovely evening, right? Why am I going to have that headache? Especially in your 90s. Like, <laughs> and I, to be fair, I actually think he's super curious, right? Because he's a really dynamic person. It's someone I really respect and admire. I actually think secretly he does look at this, but he can't publicly talk about it. Yeah, because he's really bright. He reads a lot. If you, you say he's an amazing individual, to be fair, I think secretly he knows what it really is. But he's like, God, amazing technology. I wish this was fifty years ago. But now I've got all these shareholders and all these investors and all of this social pressure. I can't go on CNBC or Fox or or, or and get really excited about this. It uh, probably cause me a lot of headache, and I, I don't want that headache at ninety. <laughs> I just want to relax with Bill Gates. I actually think he's just got probably more of a thoughtful, patient a way to look at this. So is he exploring this, looking at Web3 as a whole? I probably think he, I think he is. I actually think directly or indirectly, he's probably de- deploying capital and has exposure to digital assets. I would not be surprised if guaranteed he's getting some, oh, I'm not saying guaranteed like I know, but looking at where he's directly or indirect or indirectly involved that's a big one indirectly involved but actually involved i think he does have some form of exposure what that exposure is is it something within the smart contract realm is it something within the nft realm is it something within the infrastructure realm i have no clue but again publicly can he beat the drum probably not right because He's on the board of Microsoft. He's probably got other public positions where he can't talk about this. Again, because it's probably going against his book of business. And and they actually have enough capital to get to crypto later. You know, like uh, if you if you have like billions of dollars, you can basically come later and still uh, not and still benefit from the industry. Still uh, like earn yeah, some yeah, upside. they can come. Alex, great point. Fantastic point. When things get to more of the early majority stroke mid-majority, they can jump right in and go, here you go. Still make 100x, maybe even make 1,000x. We're at the beginning of this journey. We don't even... This is like, to me, this whole space, Alex, people say, oh, what, what year of the internet it is. I mean, people are talking their book in this space will say, oh, it's the late 90s. To me, it's bullshit. I think we're like in 1996. Yeah. Of where the internet was. Like, we're right in the middle, but we're not like 2000. No way. Anyone who says that, they're talking their book. It's basically like 95, 96. Maybe even uh, a bit earlier. So we just don't know. You know, like it's hard to imagine what it can bring because like it was really hard to imagine for people before internet what internet can bring. And we are with internet already and we're already familiar with all these things. And still it feels like Web3 is bringing even even bigger change, even bigger impact to the world. And it's really hard to imagine what it is. Well, I was Googling something the other day, Alex. It was, there's, a, there's an old publication, it's still out, it's called Popular Mechanics. It's a big 
publication. I'm sure you might have seen some of their stuff in the past. And it was a screenshot from their May 95 edition. Basically a magazine, Alex. And on the front page, I'm going to post this on LinkedIn because it was, it was freaking hilarious. It's got the internet. It's got the phrase. You might be too young for this, Alex. I'm old enough to remember it. Information superhighway. Uh-huh. Like, that was the phrase when I was like 15, 16. Literally, you'll probably freaking laugh all of your share laughing at this. But it was called the Information Superhighway. And it had a couple of these like cartoon type pictures of like little use cases. No one had a clue what the internet was really going to be. Even if you look back at it, Microsoft were late to it. Yeah. Microsoft were late to, were late to uh, cloud computing. I mean, Steve Ballmer had to leave. Yeah. He's, Steve Ballmer's quoted as, oh, the iPhone ain't going to be shit. Oh, it's, not, it's not a big deal. He's publicly quoted saying that. <laughs> what He left in what, what, 2012, 2013? Yeah, I think so. And then we had the new CEO in Satya, who obviously jumped on cloud, all in, and have completely turned around Microsoft. But Microsoft, in the early 2000s, were late on cloud in particular, particular cloud, really late, like scary late. So, and they had, they had their head start. If anyone was going to dominate cloud, it wasn't going to be Amazon. It should have been Microsoft, really, as a first mover. So even when you're in the game, you can miss the bigger picture Look at the learning curve most people have to go through right now with Web3. That's why most people don't really kind of get it. Because they've got a day job, right? They've got bills to pay, mortgage. Last thing they're going to think about what the Web3 Web is going to be. That's why the actual entrepreneurs, the builders in this space, people like you, Alex, companies like Snap who are exploring this and, and, and try to help the entrepreneurs in this space by giving them access to our software, we're hopefully going to be the, the folks who enable that education build offer value and then we'll go from there so so i've rambled on a lot there but we are bloody early yeah and it's actually like now a good time to ask the last question and this is a special one so uh i think like from your experience from like your point of view like it will be very valuable to share this like uh, what do you think about this and like what what you can give us as an advice so this actually the last question about advice and advice to the whole Web3 industry. So I believe that innovation is all about collaboration. Hence, we need competition, but collaboration is crucial. And I believe there's a need for more collaboration in Web3 industry, more collaboration to drive adoption, to bring like regulators to the discussion, to uh, to, to basically uh, organize whole Web3 industry in kind of like into a force. Where, and which can be directed to specific issues we are tackling. But is there, it looks like there's still not enough collaboration in the space. So what, what do you think like, can bring it? Like, and what will be your advice for every leader in Web3 space to what to consider to become more collaborative? Like, w- what they should do? What your general advice? I definitely think Web3 entrepreneurs, I mean, you have the hardcore contingent who don't even want to speak to or interact with web 2 entrepreneurs or web 2.5 entrepreneurs i think that's a blind spot because both can learn from each other let's face it web 2 entrepreneurs web 2.5 entrepreneurs call it they've got experience right they've got companies large employee base some of them are public some of them are private some of them are already worth over a billion dollars some have over 100 million dollars in recurring revenue there's lots of learnings there which 
Web3 entrepreneurs can, can lean from and learn from, right? Especially when we go in some form of cooling phase of the economy and we're not printing money like crazy and hopefully interest rates slightly do creep up where it's a phrase what I call it, it's time to leave home. You can't live at your parents' house forever. If you look at the last 11 years, some of it's not real. The price action, how assets are inflated. If we strip it back down and there's been amazing education being done by the likes of obviously Real Vision, who are brilliant. Uh, you've got Pomp, Anthony Pompliano, the, the team at Bankless, an amazing in the investment group called Arc Invest, Kathy Wood. Obviously, the folks at Masari, which are like the Bloomberg of the whole digital asset space. Crypto EQ are really cool. Blockworks are more kind of long form research. The Block, all of these kind of deep dive intelligence organizations like like the Block and, and Masari, they are edu- they are educating the world now and and talking about the insane money printing, QE, fiscal stimulus, MMT. I mean, look at the Fed's balance sheet. It's off the chart. But all of that does link back to the world of startups, the world of the world of raising capital, all the crazy price action in the era of Web3. It's insane. If you really look at it, it's crazy. Some of the market caps, like, come on. Simple. Everyone, everyone kind of knows it. So to, to answer your question, I think what will be really healthy for the community is when you've got Web2 and Web3 entrepreneurs saying, you know, we've got synergies here. I'll give you a working example. I'll tell you someone who's doing really well in this space, the team at Chainlink. Mm-hmm. Specifically what they're doing around hybrid smart contracts. They're cutting deals with large public groups like LexisNexis, who are a, a owned by a company called Relics, who are a huge information services conglomerate, kind of my sector, the information services world, been around for years, massive multi-billion euro business, multi-billion dollar business. You've got groups like Chainlink actually cutting deals with them where they're feeding into their hybrid smart contracts, being a node operator. Chainlink are dropping partnerships like that literally every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So Chainlink is one example of an organization saying, yep, yeah, we're Web3, but we're partnering with folks from Web2. They're our customer. They're feeding in external data from the real world and, and feeding it into various use cases of hybrid smart contracts. They're a really good example. So I think if more Web3 companies can bridge partnerships with Web2 organizations and more institutions, that's going to be healthy. Actually, I think it's actually great advice. And I totally agree there should be more collaboration not only within web3 industry but also with web2 and like it's extremely important to talk to people successful people from web2 industry successful entrepreneurs who achieved a lot already and know how to build a business and like you're a perfect example of this profile as well Uh, i'm looking forward for what we can do together uh, all of us like uh, in web3 industry web2 industry maybe at some point we will not be able even distinguish uh, them anymore and all the businesses will have both web2 and web3 part and uh, thank you for sharing your insight it was lovely have you here and uh, i hope we we can uh, have another uh, another chat maybe not on podcast uh, already but uh, as we always do and explore some new ideas and we will continue talking to each other and be an example to others so yeah thank you for coming nice one Alex you have a great day cheers cheers bye